Morning, everyone. Morning, if you're joining us online, it's good uh, to have you with us as well. And uh, it really is cool to know that um, we are able to enjoy church together. Obviously, physically is a sweet, absolute beautiful treat that is more special than ever. But some of you are online and joining us, and it really is, uh, we just want to acknowledge you and say thanks for joining us, and for various great reasons, you can't be with us. It's cool to be together. Maybe, um, yeah, we can just remind ourselves, not everyone can get into the auditorium, and although we love physical gatherings, we do celebrate technology and the ability to be able to um, be with people, even though we're not physically together. So that's pretty cool, there. We're carrying on uh, on our journey. We've done one and a half installments of our journey, which we've called Human Beings. Human Beings. The slide should come up any time now, but I suppose before they do, you can leave these up. We've got baptisms happening today. A handful of people in our community getting baptized, and uh, you're going to get ready to give them an applause because it's such an important thing. And in our generation, which is filled with deliberation and thought and when and how and waiting for the perfect moment to get baptized, you read in the New Testament and you go, actually, people didn't wait for the perfect moment. They waited for the moment where they trusted Jesus. And when they trusted Jesus as adults, they got baptized. My favorite story is one we looked at with our life group this week is that uh, Ethiopian uh, eunuch who's traveling on a chariot. And Philip comes up to him. He says, what are you reading? And he's reading the Bible. And Philip basically explains to him the story of the gospel. And then the guy goes, well, what's going to stop him from getting baptized? So they find a puddle of water on the side of the road deep enough that they can dunk him in. And this guy gets baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and his journey of following Jesus begins. Are you a follower of Jesus? Great, if you are. If you're not, you're in the right place. I'm going to help you understand more about that. But if you're, are you baptized if you're a follower of Jesus? If not, please come chat to us. We're doing baptisms today, and uh, the Ethiopian eunuch needed less time than you need to get into the pool that we're getting into. However, we do want to encourage you at some stage, get into that water, not because I say so, but because Jesus says so. We're a church who's always going to go, what does Jesus say? Well, if he says it, we do it. And not to mention, if he did it, then we definitely do it. And so please don't uh, keep pushing baptism to the back of the queue of, uh, of, of really important things. This is right up there as followers of Jesus to, to do. So that's my uh, hard sell for baptisms. And we've got uh, three or four people in this auditorium. I'm not going to make them stand or expose themselves. They're going to share with the people getting baptized why they're getting baptized in their story. But we are going to celebrate them with a round of applause on three. One, two, three. Yoo-hoo! So exciting. Human beings, not human doings. We're a very, very busy society. We are so frantically doing stuff. Our typical greeting, how are you? Typical answer, busy. Uh, Good for Yuri. The rest of us, busy. We typically say, I'm busy. Maybe we say I'm good, but, but if it's not uh, busy first, it's busy second. Our lives are busy. They're distracted. We've got devices all over the show. So if we, don't actually, if we aren't actually busy, devices make us feel busy because every little gap we've got, 
We fill it with something to stare at, look at, ingest. We got so much information filling our heads that our hearts don't know what to do with it. More anxious is our society than probably most ever because we're not designed to have so much happening. For us to be doing so much, uh, that African proverb, we don't take the time for our body, our, our spirits to catch up with our bodies. We leave ourselves behind in all the doing and we forget that we are actually human beings. We forget that the scriptures and the main task of following Jesus, according to many, is that we are to be before we do. That's the, the journey of following Jesus, is that we get integrated under one God, that we are given a new name. And the whole theme of scripture is about God coming to a people and saying who he is and who they are in the light of that. To be a follower of Jesus is to receive a new identity. It's to become a new person. That's what it means. And one of the burdens I've been feeling since COVID is the burden of how many people have had a radical challenge to their core identities. The, the, the COVID season has left so many people feeling so uh, insecure or uh, just confused about who they are. Possibly uh, for those who had businesses that kind of came under threat, there was this doubling down and working harder to keep the business alive. Uh, I've had so many conversations with men who've literally said to me, I felt like my primary worth was in what I could provide. And when I realized I couldn't provide anymore, I wasn't sure who I was anymore. And COVID has had this ability, whether it's in business, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in finances, whatever it is for you, to kind of shred up our identity, to deconstruct a sense of who we are. And remember, added to all of that has been the season where we've had this big narrative across the world, kind of with the woke narrative that basically cancels you and forces people to fight for their identity and to achieve some sort of identity and force people to find themselves identified a lot of the time by their sexual orientation. And so that's this very confusing season where there's been so much deconstruction, and I've felt this burden as a pastor to walk with us and journey with us that even if it has happened through physical, financial, or any other pain, that if you've had some of your identity kind of deconstructed, that we don't reconstruct it by doubling down and just working harder. Earn more. Win somebody. Try make people like you. Get something back so that you can achieve an identity again. But that we reconstruct it with the help of God. That we find who we are and whose we are with God's help, that he rebuilds our identity. Because one of the big challenges that I've seen is that COVID has caused some who felt their identity shaking to actually just double down and work harder than they ever did. To be human doings at a higher level, to prove their worth, to prove that they're something or someone. I pray that's not true for us. I pray that we would be the kind of people who can let that deconstructed identity be rebuilt by the one who actually knows us, who, who made us, who wants to walk with us. As I said, the great task of the Christian is to learn to be before do, to learn to be before do. 
Now, maybe identity is a little bit of like a nebulous, out there concept to you, and you're going, what exactly do you mean? Well, let me just remind you how crucial our identities are and, and how identity shapes whole facets of society. Think of the apartheid era. You think of how whole uh, groupings of people were given an identity that shaped the way society worked. Shocking and appalling was the identity that certain people were given that made them feel less human. This was an identity-driven movement called apartheid. I think of the effects of abuse on some of us and and what it's meant for our own sense of who we are and, and what we're worth. What about the schooling systems that we grew up in? How many people, the, the, the first thing you find out about them is that they went to a private school and you, you see this sense of who a person is based on where they've come from and what school they went to. It, it can shape who we are or our parents or their marital status or their lack of marital status, the, the brokenness or the, the togetherness of, a, of, of our parents' marriages or our family of origin. As Pete Scazzera reminded me recently, we've got Jesus in our hearts, but we've got Grandpa in our bones. We've got this this story, our heritage that follows us, and our behavior and identity is so shaped by the the people uh, that came before us in our family. These shape our identity. They shape our sense of who we are. And, and if you're thinking identity is a modern concept, it's, it's a fairly modern word, but the concept of identity is all over Scripture. I think it's pretty good for us to start with the story of Jesus himself. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he came announcing this. He said, the kingdom of God has arrived. He said, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. God is here. You see, what he meant by that was he was saying, the kingdom of God has arrived in me. He was declaring that because I am here, because Jesus has arrived, the kingdom of God has arrived. To to know what the, the future world will be like is to look at Jesus. He was the very first pure foretaste of the age to come. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that basically Jesus has come to reveal the kingdom of God. He's shown us what it's like. He's lived a life that says, that's the kingdom. He, he, he performed healings and miracles and signs and wonders. They were foretastes of the age to come where there will no longer be tears and mourning and crying and pain. We got foretastes of the world to come. We saw the beauty of his love and his mercy, the future taste of a world filled with mercy and love and generosity and sacrificial kindness. That is the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes as a full and beautiful embodiment of that age to come. It's a magnificent thought. His life shows us what the kingdom is like. His death is the defeat of darkness so that we too can be included in that. And his resurrection is the first foretaste of the life that we will have one day. We will have bodies like his. The story of Jesus is the beginnings. It's an outpost of this eternal age to come that is coming to us. Now, what does that have to do with identity? Well, it has everything to do with identity. Because the scriptures are clear that if you follow Jesus, then this language that, that, that Paul often uses is you are in Christ. You're in him. You're kind of grafted into him. You are hidden in him. You are placed in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, his stuff becomes yours. 
the life he lived becomes as if you lived that life. The, the death he died comes as if you died a death to sin. The resurrection he uh, rose again becomes your resurrection into new life. His ascension to the right hand of God becomes your ascension. That is who you become. I want to use some scripture because some of you are looking at me going, are you sure? Really? You're kind of squinting at me and and good for you. You should be squinting at me if you haven't seen it in scripture. But maybe we can start by looking at 2 Corinthians 5. Think of it like this. He says, therefore, if anyone is, say it with me, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Wow. This is God including us in something brand new. He's speaking to our identity. There is something beautiful and fresh and new that is happening. Let's look at this next slide. I want to suggest that there is something fresh in our identity. Colossians 3 says this, Since then you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ? Who? Followers of Jesus. People who trust in Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. You died? If you're in Christ, you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is true of you if you're a follower of Jesus. This is so important that you get this, that you take some time to pray through this. Because remember what I said, identity shapes who you are. This is your identity. And it's going to shape how you behave, how you understand yourself, and how you live. You're hidden in Christ. You've been seated with Him. And I want to suggest today that there are three basic things that happen to those who are in Christ. There is a kind of relational identity that we're given. There is a positional identity that we're given. And then there's a kind of functional identity that we're given. And we need to understand all of those. There we go. Positional, relational, and functional. You're in the middle. You see, if you look at those intersecting things on this classic Venn diagram, you'll see that there's joy, there's confidence, and there's humility. I think every Christian, every human being wants to be joyful, right? Put up your hand if you would like to be joyful. Wow, not all of you. Interesting. We must chat later. Joy, confidence, humility. That is pretty much the three key aspects of of what it means to to live well. Confidence uh, speaks of, of able to love well. Confidence isn't a kind of, hey, look at me, I'm the best. It's an ability to to love well. That's what I speak about. Joy, to to be truly joyful in the skin that God's given us. And, And humility is to be able to be not always number one. To be content with God as number one and us taking whatever role we need to. You see, we need to understand our identity positionally, relationally, and functionally. And if we can get those three things, we might start to see joy, humility, and confidence beginning to emerge out of our lives. So I want to just speak to those three things. I want to speak to, firstly, our relational realities, secondly, uh, to our uh, positional, and then thirdly, to our functional identities. You probably need a sermon on each. I'm going to try to cover them in a couple of minutes each. So firstly, relational identity. Think about it. You and I, when we are in Christ are given a relational identity. 
Think of uh, Romans chapter uh, 8, if we could go to the next one. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you get a spiritual surgeon to cut a follower of Jesus to the very core of who they are, with all skill and precision, and get to the very center of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you know what you're going to find in there? You're going to find a child of God. At the very deepest, at the core of who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will not find wife, husband, teacher, work colleague, uh, career person. You won't find that. At the very essence of a follower of Jesus, you will find this identity, child of God. That's really important. And the more we get to understand that, the more it will shape how we live our lives. You see, many of us probably have that as our proclaimed belief. Yeah, yeah, I'm a child of God. But when the going gets tough and COVID hits us and we start to behave, we start to work out, where do I actually behave from? Do I really realize that? Do I live believing that I am a child of God? Who's the only person who can wake up a powerful king in the middle of the night for a cup of water. Their child, of course. No one else. No one else can wake up a powerful king and say, give me a cup of water. And then actually not have a sip and fall asleep before it arrives. <laughs> that happens in my home. At the very core of who you are, not wife, not mother, not father, not success, not failure. You are a child of God, and you can cry, Abba, Father. Abba is this deeply affectionate Hebrew term for dad. You can say, Dad, you are my Father in heaven. And you can enjoy an intimate relationship. With the help of the Holy Spirit, there is an ability to be close to and enjoy a father-child relationship with God. And, and this, by the way, doesn't actually stop there. Uh, ladies, in some ways, we all need to be comfortable. Uh, sometimes the church is called the bride, so we as guys need to uh, deal with that every now and again. And so we put the bride in army boots because that's how we need to do it. But, but sometimes we need to settle the fact that actually when it says you're adopted into sonship, that there is this reality to the fact that Paul didn't just say you're adopted into daughtership. You see, to, when he's talking about sonship, he's talking about especially a firstborn child in a, in a Hebrew family. It was this place of privilege. It was this incredible gift of a father who lavished his inheritance and everything he had he would give to his firstborn son. You think of the prodigal son. This beautiful story of this son who comes home and the father gets jealous, uh, the, the older brother gets jealous because the father's loving this younger son and he puts a ring on his finger and he kills the fattened calf and they have this beautiful feast and he puts a beautiful robe on him and he treats the second born son like the firstborn son. The firstborn son looks and he goes, hey, all these years I've been with you and you've never done any of this stuff. And the father says, but son, everything I've had is yours. 
All you need to do is ask. And so much is happening in that story that Jesus tells. Because for one thing, he's saying, do you know what? Anyone who wants to experience the joy and the love of the firstborn can experience it through Jesus. Even the secondborn and the thirdborn and the tenthborn and, and the adopted and, and the women and the men and, and every other uh, sort of reality of society all can be children, can be sons, can have this beautiful affirmation over their lives that you are the chosen, the beloved. There is a feast. There is a ring that's put on your finger. You are loved by God. You're cherished. That's what's going on here. And, and, and not only that, you can cry out, Abba, Father. The story of the prodigal son is so beautiful and so good because it challenges all of us that often we're like the older brother. So often in our lives, we're, we're looking and we're going, I deserve this. I, I, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to find a way to prove to God that he should bless me. And God says, no, everything I have is yours already. If you've come to me through the son, then everything has been dealt with. The punishment has been sorted. The preparations and the feast has been laid. The ability to enjoy all of the love from the Father is given you. This has implications for the way you wake up in the morning. This has implications for the prayers you pray. Just this week as I've been preparing, it's changed the prayer life that I've experienced because so often I go, hey Lord, it's me. And I've been disciplining myself to go, Father, you love me, and I thank you that I'm your child, and I thank you this morning that whilst I don't feel like a good son, and I don't feel hugely deserving, and I'm still rubbing the sleep out of my eyes, you love me, and you care for me, and you put the ring on my finger, and you give me a name that is undeserved. You call me your child, but thank you. And this, the state of my day is radically different when by faith I remember what's already true. You see, the journey of a Christian is not to make this stuff up. It's to realize what's already true. You don't need to make it up. It's already happened. It's a case of you need to realize it by faith and enjoy it. That's our task. It's already been told us. It's already been done for us. Now you rest in it. You start to strive to enjoy it and to make sense of it. That's the beauty of what it means to be relationally children of God. Can't forget when I first came to faith in Jesus, and uh, I had been sort of, uh, uh, some of you have heard the story, but it, it so helps me understand the love of the Father. I had made so many dumb decisions as a, as a young student. Loads of drugs, loads of uh, partying, loads of money taken from my parents that should have been spent on things that uh, it wasn't spent on. And uh, much lying and deceit, to be honest. Long story short, I had a moment where I just knew, having come to faith in Jesus, I had to tell my parents what I'd done. And uh, nobody likes telling the truth when it's painful, right? Not to mention to your parents who worked so hard and earned all this money and, and, and tried to set you through college and all these, this stuff. And you've gone and taken the money, squandered it, and used it for your own purposes. So I... Took a long time. We had a whole weekend away. It never happens. Me and just my parents. I thought, this is the time. We're away. We're in the Berg. I'm going to share my story. And it took me till about 15 minutes from getting home after a full weekend. We drove all the way up to the Berg. We had a weekend. Drove all the way back. We were at Marion Hill Toll Plaza coming back from Durban. 
We had 12 minutes to go till home, and I said, guys, there's something I need to tell you. And with tears in my eyes, I shared my story of just how bad I'd been. (laughs) And I'll never forget getting out of the car. My dad had been driving and hadn't said anything. My mom had been awkwardly asking the wrong questions. And uh, and sort of, it was just all uh, very intense. And I got out of the car, and I didn't really know what to do. My dad walks around the car slowly, and he holds me. And he just says, it's okay, we've always loved you. We've always loved you. And there's nothing like it to know that you are a child and you will have good times and you will have bad times. But you have been given the spirit of adoption which says you are his. His beloved, you're his son, and you will always be given that identity. You walk into the world held by a father who says, I know you've done bad things, but I am for you. I hope you start to feel something. That's your identity relationally. Hey, what's your identity positionally? Where do you stand? Or or, or for a better question, where are you seated? Let's look at the next slide. Positionally, we are seated with Christ. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Relationally, you are a child of the king. Positionally, you are seated in heavenly realms. You're seated with Jesus at the right hand of God. Do you know what that means? It means that your initial royal mandate that you were given from the beginning, remember Adam and Eve were given a royal mandate. They could have dominion and, and, and multiply the earth and bring about God's kingdom on earth. Of course, they butchered it, and so we've all made so many mistakes and haven't really done a great job of bringing God's royal reign into the world. But Jesus, in his amazing love, comes and he says, let's do it again. I'll give you your royalty back. I'll let you come and live with me, and we can have dominion once more. And so the very beautiful King Jesus, who's crowned with thorns, defeats darkness and sin and Satan and death, and he wins a great victory. He's seated on the throne, and because you and I are in him, we are restored to royalty again, and we're seated with him. And so we live in the authority of this beautiful kingdom. Now, the problem or the challenge is that we are caught between two ages. We know that, right? Our bodies don't function how we wish they would. The world is still corrupt and broken. And so there is a mix of great stuff happening, and we watch people's lives changing and God doing work, and we go, yahoo! And then we turn the next corner, and we see brokenness and destruction and decay and pain. And, and what we need to remind ourselves of is that whilst Jesus started the kingdom, it's already here. It's also not yet. And we've got to be mature if we're going to be followers of Jesus to realize the kingdom has come, but it's not fully here yet. And so whilst we're seated in heavenly realms, we don't have authority to do everything all the time. As much as I wish that every sick person I prayed for would get healed, it just doesn't always happen. In fact, less often does it happen than I wish. But it does sometimes happen. I've watched a friend's eyes get healed. I've seen it with my very own eyes. We prayed for him and he got his sight. It's happened. 
It can and does happen. God is on the move. His kingdom is breaking out. Never forget the first time I discovered that I might have a kind of dormant gift of prophecy. We were um, on a leadership time, and I'd sort of shared kind of vague prophetic words till then. And then we're praying, and Taryn and Julie say to us, uh, we feel like God's called us to go start a congregation out in Constantiaburg. So I go, great. And we all start this prayer meeting, and as clear as anything, in this like big neon lights in my head, I just see this word, range. Range. So I get all fancy and I say to them, well, I feel like God's put this word range in my head and, and I don't know what it's about and I start telling them maybe it's going to be a range of people and I get all technical. They come back to me in a week and they say, we found a venue. It's perfect. Do you know what it's called? The range. <laughs> I was like, wow. And this, this, I started to realize God can sometimes speak to us. And he starts to use us in different ways. He gives us gifts to bring about his kingdom in the world. And he gives us authority to start to work this thing out. Why? Because we're seated with him. We've got a perspective on the world. Do you have some spiritual gifts? Don't say no. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you do. You've got all kinds of gifts that we need to discover and we need to grow in. How, how, how powerful, how much authority you have in those gifts? I don't know. Are we going to grow in them? Absolutely. The scriptures are clear that we should continue to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. And then he says, especially prophecy, says Paul. Amazing. He says we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I think of gifts in this church. I think of shame, the gift of encouragement, the ability to put wind in the sails of people. I think of Mark, who's not here, and his gift of leadership and service and, and encouragement. To wonder's gift of uh, leadership and wisdom. I think of Jolene's gift of faith. I think of Anshan's gift of generosity. Shireen's gift of mercy. Vi, I don't know where you are, your gift of incredible mercy and leadership. I haven't mentioned everyone, I can't. Don't be an older son and wish you got mentioned. Be a younger brother and go, everything that you need is in God. You're seated in heavenly realms. The authority to live out this beautiful kingdom adventure is complex. It's confusing at times. We sometimes go, how much can I do in the kingdom? The answer is, I'm not sure. But I hope you push yourself in prayer, in trust, in reading the scriptures, in discovering spiritual gifts so that we can live out some of our authority because the kingdom of God is so good. And God is so good. And I hope that we can all start growing in our ability to live out this authority and to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. Okay, third one is this. We've also got a functional identity. A functional identity. And that's Servant. Servant. In John chapter 13, Jesus has just got on his knees to his disciples. He's about to uh, do something amazing and dying on the cross. And before he does that, he gets on his knees and he takes out a cloth and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. What a strange thing to do. Who does that? The king of kings, the one who is about to be raised above every other name, gets on his knees and with a cloth and some water starts to wash dirty, dusty Roman feet who walked the Roman roads, not Roman citizens. But he washes their feet. And he says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Too often in teachings like this, when we hear about our identity, we hear about the power identities, son, seated. We forgot that we're also servants. And if you can have all three, you'll begin to live a really well-balanced followership of Jesus. And you'll begin to actually live the kind of life Jesus calls us to. He became a servant to all, and he calls us to that same cruciform life. He calls us to follow him into the journey of servanthood. We are not just meant to be sons who look upon a broken world and go, well, I'm just glad I'm a son. Or or seated and go, I'm just glad I'm going to be in heaven one day and I don't need to worry about the pain. He calls us to bring grace and to bear suffering. That we too are servants to the world. We're servants to one another. He says, you're going to do this to each other. He says, in fact, the world will know that you're my disciples because of the way that you love each other, which is code for the way that you serve each other. This is also not my way of saying, please just join another volunteer team in our church. That's just one of the millions of other ways that we get to become servants. In fact, I think that's one of the last ways. When Paul talks about becoming a servant, when our identity is servant, it's about us learning to love well. Servants are those who don't always need to be right. They don't defend themselves to the very end. Servants get no prizes for pretending that they're stronger than they are. Servants are happy to be vulnerable if that's what needs to happen. In our life group, we often say, guys, no prizes for pretending. Vulnerable is real, and we need to be vulnerable. And we're beginning to build friendships around the fact that we are serving each other, not by pretending we've got it all together, but by actually being honest so that we can learn to love each other well. Servants don't deserve a functioning, non-corrupt government. They serve society into the kingdom of God, one life and one friendship at a time. Servants are patient when the world wants it foster. Servants smile in a frowning world. Servants build friendship over and over again, needing to forgive often. Servants love mercy and care for the poor. Servants see their home and their dining room as a place to love and care for humanity, not just their sacred, untouchable space. Servants see their money as a trust from God to be used for His glory. Servants realize their own growth in character into Christ-likeness is one of the best ways to love the world. Servants are not pushovers, but they're joyful, confident people who know how to love well. Servants gladly hand recognition over to others. We need to be all of these. Some of us maybe tend towards one more than the other. Maybe you're strong, you're authoritative, and you take the bull by the horns. Maybe you just love relationships and you live well, relation, you're secure in your relationships. Maybe you're just always merciful and you, 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 you live out of the servant kind of theme. The scriptures say we need all of them. We need to be those who understand we're seated with Christ. We have been given, we are heirs of the kingdom. This is a wonderful thought. This is a wonderful fact. And we're children, which means we are the beloved of God. 
which means we're not looking to another person to primarily validate us. You've got to hear this. As you're reconstructing your identity post-COVID, if you are, I pray that it gets reconstructed around seated with Christ, child of God, and servant in the kingdom. The band can come up and we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we are given these identities in the world that is so fighting for an identity achieved with persuasive arguments and all kinds of uh, picketing and rioting and fighting to be recognized. Jesus, you went to the cross. And in that, you gave us an identity that we could receive. You achieved it so that we could enjoy it. And Lord, as we come to you this morning, I pray that we would be those who rest in your beautiful love, who know that you really care, who enjoy confidently, by faith, the fact that we are seated in heavenly places. We are in you. The old has gone, the new has come. And I pray that day by day by day, we would live into that which is most true of us. We would rest in that. Some of us have been striving, working really hard to prove ourselves to someone. If that's you, maybe you just want to do what the Bible says is repent. Repent is not, I'm awful and I've, I've only ever failed. Repent is, I've turned away and from that and I turn to you Jesus sometimes it's I'm awful and I've made a mistake sometimes it's just I've made a mistake I've been trying to make this person love me I've been trying to make this person notice me I've been trying to make this person acknowledge and affirm me when all the acknowledgement and affirmation we need is in Jesus Would you repent of that? Turn away from chasing after another. Others, you've been withholding gifts. You're scared to try. You're scared to try. You're scared to live out those gifts that God's put in you. You're scared to trust Him and maybe share a prophetic word. Pray for someone. Live out that authority that is teaching you, encouraging you to love people well. But fear is holding you back. And the scriptures say that there is no longer a spirit of fear, but a spirit of of courage that's been put inside of you. Your identity is seated in heavenly realms. That's your future. Others of us, just by sheer selfishness, are holding back from giving the best of ourselves to those around us, to our family, to our church family. And we're called to serve this morning because we're identified as servants, those who are willing to wash others' feet because Jesus did it. And we are in you, Jesus. Lord, as we sing this song, minister by your spirit, that spirit of adoption, that spirit that will ultimately resurrect us into the new age to come that will ultimately usher us in with great power into the, the age where there is no mourning, no tears, no crying, no pain, no suffering, 
But while we wait for that, I pray that we would live out that which you've called us to, true to our identity, trusting you. Let's stand, let's sing.